Welcome back to the Pretty Serious Bike Racing Podcast. I'm Dan Cash. Welcome to October. It's the last month of the year for World Tour Racing, which kind of bums me out. I know there are some people out there who think the season's a little too long. Because it is. Well, I'm not one of them, but you just heard, I guess, one of those people that is. Uh, Cosmo Catalano, bike racing analyst extraordinaire. Welcome to the show. How yeah, are you? I am well. I am easily going to make it through November and December, and then we get more racing in January. Totally the peak road racing season. That's two whole months without road racing. That's a long time. If only uh, there were cyclocross. Abby, Mickey, are you um, are you hyped to talk bike racing today? We'll talk podcast host Abby, Mickey. Totally hyped. Totally hyped. Great. So much. Let's hype. get pretty serious. There there weren't any world tour races in the last like forty eight hours, which means we're jumping on the bandwagon this this show. We're doing some some Q&A action. We're going to answer some questions from our members, which is something that Wheel Talk and Placeholders and Geek Warning have already done. We're a little late getting to that, but this seemed like the perfect time to do it. Answer some burning questions from our, from our listeners. We are going to talk a little bit about some of the racing that's happened. There was just some interesting things, interesting notes from the Giro della Miglia, the, uh, the race that um, Arno de Lee won over the weekend with... Uh, one foot clipped in, uh, and then of course we've got the Lombardia coming up. So there's still plenty of things to talk about here on the Pretty Serious Bike Racing Podcast. We're going to do that today. But first, let me tell you, you should head on over to escapecollective.com/slash/join and check out the whole idea of supporting us here on the podcast. Actually, supporting all the podcasts on the Escape Collective Network. If you're listening to us, hopefully that means you like us. But even if you don't like us on the Pretty Serious Bike Racing Podcast, that, that's okay. We, we, we want you to like us, but there's also Wheel Talk, and there's also Placeholders, oh. and there's even Geek Wars. Oh. Yeah. I got to do my job here, Cosmo. I got I to gotta hype all the podcasts. I got to show some love. Yeah. There's a brand new podcast for members only coming from Ronan McLaughlin. That's exciting. And all those things are supported by, hopefully, you. If you're already part of our very cool community of supporters, we are very grateful. If not, head on over to escapecollective.com slash join. Let's kick it off really quickly with a recap of the weekend's non-world tour racing, purely because I think there were a handful of just very brief, interesting storylines. First of all, Cosmo, Arno DeLee. Yeah. Seems pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, I mean he's good, but like he's he's really good at winning races that he's better than. I hate to say that, but he's like clearly got what it takes to be a top-level racer and seems not to really come through in anything except small races where he destroys everyone. Literally won a sprint with one leg, clipped out at what, 100 meters, 150 meters to go and stayed on the bike and uh one pedaled it and held off the chase, uh, the closing sprinters behind him. Um, it would be, I joked on Twitter, it would be more impressive uh, if, it would be more impressive that he won a race with one leg if one weren't also the number of World Tour wins he has in his entire career. He's still yes. young, obviously. He's 21, though. I mean, come but, on. Yeah, well, it, it still. Um, and I think we might talk about this in the later in the podcast, but it, it's almost like, uh, Lotto has figured out how to get World Tour attention without actually performing yes. at a World Tour level. I think that you raise a great point. That's a good teaser for the conversation we're going to have. So stay tuned later in this pod, and we'll talk all about Lotto's love of these smaller races. Nonetheless, Arnaud Lee winning a race with one foot clipped in still is pretty impressive. Yes. I mean, he had a huge oh, yeah. turn of speed early on. and Also, Caden Groves was there. I mean, it's not like... It's not like the field was anonymous. The guy who's just won some Vuelta stages in a points jersey was also in that field. So go check out the video if you haven't seen it yet. Arnaud Dali winning a sprint while coming unclipped in the finale. It's pretty entertaining. All right. That happened at the Famen Arden Classic on home roads for the Walloon Bull, as Arnaud Dali is known, which is, I think, an awesome nickname. And he even he, he's embraced it. He does the little bull celebration, I think, with his fingers. I love that. Uh, all right, moving over to Italy, though, we also had the Giro della Miglia over the weekend. Again, not a World Tour race, but this one is one of several 
Italian one days in the build-up to Il Lombardia, the big one, the world tour one, the monument. And the interesting thing from the men's race was that Primoz Roglic and Tadej Pogacar were 1-2, and I think those are the riders who, maybe along with Remco Evenepoel, will be your favorites for Lombardia coming up. We'll talk about that later. But to me, the biggest thing that stood out was the fact that that was the same day that Roglic's team announced, and he said, basically the same day that everybody involved confirmed, yes, he's leaving. He's been given the green light to go elsewhere, Yumbo Visma. And he went out and won a race, which to me says he is cold-blooded. He is unaffected by all the other things going on. Or maybe he's even motivated by them. And I was very impressed by that, uh, for him to go out and do that. I also was uh, amused by the Yumbo response. He got a, you know, all kinds of congratulatory messages from the team and Richard Pluga for all of his, his great work. So it seems like everybody's happy with what's happening as he's about to leave. I think they have enough chaos going on at the moment that they're kind of like, yeah, this is the least chaotic chaos that we currently have in the Yambo Visma camp. It seems so. like a win-win. As he is a, so, you know, obviously, if you've been paying attention to the, all the, the reports, which have been myriad, uh, the the suggestion is that he's about to go somewhere else. He's going to be bought out of his contract. Seems like a win-win. Yambo Visma gets a ton of money. Roglic gets to go be a team leader somewhere. There's been plenty of discussion of this on the placeholders, and I'm sure there will continue to be. Uh, but yeah, it's not apparently it's not impacting Roglic's ability to win races. So we're going to see whether that is true. Uh, the monumental level coming up. Well, if we get you know a typical Torino Adriatico sprint, which is what we got at Giro dell'Emilia, kind of like small group up a hill, it, I think you know we uh, we can count on Roglic to do well because that's his thing. I do tend to think of uh, Pogacar as being pretty good at those things too, He's but I, you know, Roglic has really, really made that his thing. Yeah, you know, it's his whole uh, that that and the telemark ski jump salute. Yes, yes. All right, and then the women's side, Cecily Ledwig won her second Giro dell'Emilia title, and it was impressive. And she won it ahead of a teammate, Marta Cavalli, was right behind her. Great job, FDJ Suez. I feel bad saying this, but also. SD Works wasn't at the race, so I, I'm like, I mean, nice job. You did as best you did the best thing you could do, which is win the race. But I don't know how impressed to be. Yeah, I mean, it was a the the season is has been a long one for SD Works, and I think they've achieved about everything that they set out to achieve, except the Vuelta overall. So I'm not surprised that they didn't start here. Um, even if they had, it would have been without Volring, who's done for the season and or done on the road for the season and without Marlon Rooser and like without all of their their big names anyway so I don't know how much of an impact they would have made on the race um I feel like FDJ Suez going one two is great for them um after they had some really good performances this year with with uh Cecily Ludwig at Tour Scandinavia and Grace Brown earlier in the year but other than that, they had a pretty rough season. So I feel like ending the season, even though it's not over yet, with a with a one-two, even if it's not a world tour race, is great for them. And there were still some really good riders in attendance. Like Liana Lippert was there, Julia Labus, Gaia Riolini was there, Elisa Langorghini was there, Sylvia Persico. Like it was like the best of the best that you can have at a race without SC Works. Yeah, fair enough. All right. Uh we're going to talk more about... Uh, there's a lot of teasers we're setting up, but we're going to talk a lot more about team performances over the season in the next several minutes because we're going to dive into some listener questions. And I'm pretty excited. We I, I, I sent some... I sent a message to our Discord channel, which, by the way, if you're not a member, go become a member so you can read the messages in our Discord channel and respond to them. And I said, hey, uh, you know, ask us ask us some questions so that we can answer them on the podcast. And I got a lot of, I think I got a lot of good responses. I'm really, I'm really, uh, I liked, I liked a lot of the questions. And interestingly enough, a lot of the questions that we got and the, the ones that we're going to answer today, basically all of them, are about teams. They're sort of about our our opinions, our analysis on certain teams. Uh, so they, they kind of all fit nicely into like a bigger conversation, a good conversation for this time of year. October, we're only going to you know cover a few more 
road races before the season's over. Yeah, we're going to have a chance to evaluate these teams across the Peloton. Yeah, it's a little bit incomplete as of now because we still have one monument left on the men's side. And, of course, Tour of Guangxi. But in general, I think we can draw some conclusions about teams uh, so far at this point in the season. We've, we've, we've got a, a lot of data. So one of the questions, uh, one of the early questions, and one that I really liked, but one that's uh, maybe a little bit broader than a a podcast can take on in a relatively brief fashion because we're trying to you know not bore you here somebody asked uh if we could basically grade the teams which i really like and i personally i, I read those stories on e- on espn you know when they give my my baseball team or my football team a grade i like those stories that said there's a lot of teams to grade so jordan w your response to my call for questions was the following grades question mark did anyone besides Yumbo accomplish anything? Question mark. And I think what we're going to do is we're going to maybe just do some highlights. Like I asked everybody on the pod here, all three of us, to come up with an overachieving team and an underachieving team on both the men's and women's side. So rather than grading all of the teams of the you know 30-something top division teams out there, we'll just do some highlights. And uh, as for your second question, well... Abby's going to answer that in her own way uh, as we are grading teams. So, first of all, overachieving, underachieving teams on the men's side. Cosmo, who is an overachieving team on the men's side for you? I will take the obvious choice of Jumbo Visma, uh, having won all three Grand Tours and getting with three different riders and finishing one, two, three in the Vuelta. Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty impressive. Um, and it's hard as much as I, as much as there may be some places where I think Yumbo Visma undershot its own expectations, I think it's really hard to say that they didn't really come through on a lot of high-profile stuff uh, enough that I think it's a pretty, pretty historic year, no matter how you look at it. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about this, but I mean, the, the one-day races being maybe not quite what they wanted, but in the end, on the balance, their Grand Tour dominance is, I mean, literally unheard of. So I'm glad that you started with the, with the obvious one because it's important yeah. to get that out of the way. Um, all right, well, what, about the, uh, what about the underachiever? Who, who needs improvement if you're grading the class here? I would say Ineos. It was a rousing battle uh, with Gary and Thomas in this Giro. But, you know, this is a team that for many, many years was dominant and seemed to have some sort of system set up for... Uh, you know, finding the next Grand Tour winner and getting great support behind them. And this hasn't been a thing that they've done recently. And it maybe it's just me, but I I have a hard time kind of looking at that, looking at that team and its budget and the people behind it and being like, yeah, they're doing great. <laughs> so, Yeah, for me, when you talk about overachieving, underachieving, it, uh, it includes looking at the current roster and, you know, what the riders can achieve. It. And although they don't necessarily have the big Grand Tour favorites they used to have, they still have plenty of good riders and it yeah i mean it kind of didn't deliver what you would have expected i guess they still won a lot but maybe not what you would have expected abby who overachieved i feel like this is a lot harder question than you would think because Obviously, Yumbo Visma overachieved. They won all three Grand Tours and swept the Vuelta podium and won countless stages in the process. And even though their one-day races weren't amazing, they were still always there on the podium. So they still had results, even if it wasn't the top step. So I feel like Yumbo Visma may be overachieved, but you probably would have expected the results that they have looking at the roster that they have. UAE, I feel like, may have underachieved more than they overachieved. They achieved. They just achieved. Like, they didn't... They whelmed. <laughs> they whelmed. They didn't yeah. have, like, a phenomenal year, yeah. but they still had a few incredible results, like, a few really great results, but mostly in, like, the one days by Pog. Like, it wasn't, like... I mean, he he didn't win the tour. Um, but I feel like below Yumbo Visma, everyone kind of underachieved. But I also don't want to say that Yumbo Visma, Cosmo already said that Yumbo Visma overachieved. Yeah, but so, I also think that that's a cop 
about a little bit because well, they're yeah. like the only team that did well. We were discussing yeah. this prior to recording. First of all, you were you kind of just called every other team out besides Yumbo. So I want our listeners to know that you don't think anybody did a good enough job. That's not. That's you, why basically. you can't have a pre-podcast podcast. You just have to spring the questions on us. You say that, but I also, as I've said before, I mean, I when I'm editing, I don't want to have to edit around all kinds of, you know, stop and start and thinking and hesitating while you formulate it. So I want to have an outline. That's why we have a run sheet, you know? And uh, <laughs> what I wrote on the run sheet was what you said before, which is basically everybody else wasn't good enough. Abby, you did say Adam Yates had a good season. Yeah. I feel like Adam Yates had an exceptional season. Um with with UAE, like obviously he was going into the team knowing that Pog was going to take the leadership role in any opportunity he felt like taking it, and he still had a good enough season that going into the tour he was named as their their co leader for the GC, and I think he did a really great job with that role and had some great results in the end of the season too. Like he won uh, one of the the Canada one days in um really impressive style. So I feel like Adam Yates overachieved, but I wouldn't say UAE overachieved. All right. So that's your sort of answer. No, my answer is that your answer answer is basically nobody. My answer is that (laughs) nobody overachieved. Yumbo Visma overachieved, but did they? Because overachieving (laughs) implies that they did better than you would have thought that they would do. And I don't right, think so, they did better. So who then needs improvement? Let's move on to that. They Let's... all need improvement. <laughs> okay. But they all, they all need maybe, to improve. Who maybe most need? <laughs> you have an answer. I know this because, again, we've discussed this. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like there are a lot of teams that, ha- that have a decent opportunity to do well. However, was AG2R Citroen like even – even in the races this year? Because I don't remember seeing brown bibs once all year. Yeah, it was it was a quiet year. Felix Except Gall won Googling a tour stage. Larry Warbass. Uh other than that, really they had what they have two three they had three world tour wins. All of them were stage wins and yeah. You're kinda right. They didn't do much. Uh A G two R. I mean, I, think, I don't think that they were the least performingest team. Right, I feel but that's like not really that, and that's okay though, right? Like, it, yeah. to me, it's more about like who under and I think they kind of did. I mean, Ben O'Connor's tour was a frustrating disappointment for him and for the team, I think, and and for everyone who loves Ben O'Connor. Yeah, I mean, he came out of the Dauphiné in third, looking good, but and yeah. All right, well, AG Two R, do better next time. Uh, <laughs> I'll close it out on the men's side. Uh, nice job, Alpsen to Kunick. Obviously, Matthew Vanderpool was good, and he delivered on his promise with some big wins this year. That maybe didn't surprise people, but you still got to win the races, and he did. You know, he won San Remo, and he won Roubaix, was on the podium at Flanders. Uh, I thought he was fantastic. And then Jasper Philipson was really special at the Tour de France, winning the points jersey. Great job from him, and just the team in general. Across the board, the team has really evolved. They are very much a world tour team. They're not just a Matthew Vanderpool and company, you know, pro Conti squad anymore. They won the points classification at the Vuelta as well. So hats off. Alpeson, nice job across the board. Caden Groves and Jasper Philipson. A lot of a lot of non Matthew Vanderpool riders on that team coming up with wins this year. Uh yeah. Nice job to I mean, it was mostly Caden Groves and Jasper Philipson, but there were a handful of others. Sword and Cry Anderson won a World Tour race. Yeah. Uh, as for needs improvement, I think the obvious one is Astana. It's a bit of a bummer that Mark Cavendish's season didn't go according to plan for them. They put a lot of eggs in that proverbial basket. But he's not the only rider on that team. And he's not the only talented rider on that team. And yet, they did very little in the biggest races this year, like, like almost nothing. So Alexi, Alexi Lichenko was like, you know, he was up there a little bit, got some results. Other than that, where is Astana? This is a team that used to win grand tours. They have talented riders for both, you know, the, the climbing type races and the more classic C races. And obviously they have a sprinter, but he was hurt for the Tour de France. Anyway, I, I think Astana, very much underperformed and 
I mean, the team has not always been on solid financial ground. So, I mean, they can't keep they can't keep underperforming for that long, right? I, I'm, they have to get better soon, I would think. <laughs> and I don't really know how that's going to happen. Just looking at the roster, uh, they they need they need something. So all they have yeah. to do is not get relegated, right? That's all they have to do. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> well, they'll have Cav back next year, so he can hopefully win some stuff. Maybe, yeah, yeah. Although you know, sprinters aren't great for World Tour points in terms of relegating, like in terms of the relegation battle. If you want to not get relegated, you need to get somebody who can finish fourth or fifth at the Tour de France. Like that's the best way to, that's the best bang for your buck, I think. All right, that's my underperformer. Moving on. All right, women's side. I'm going to lead this conversation off because in our planning session. Nobody wanted to to be the one to say that SD Works overperformed. And I get that cuz like what is there to really say? I do think it's true though. As good as they are, they've even they even overperformed expectations. We don't need to spend a half an hour on this subject because we talk about SD Works winning a lot of races basically every show. But they did win a boatload of races. They went 1 2 at the Tour de France. I think SD Works, even for all their talent, even with everything we expected, still managed to maybe slightly overperform they expectations. They didn't win the. Uh, uh, so that's my the Vuelta. They didn't win the Vuelta. That is true. Yep. Gotta and they didn't. Your piece ups better. Uh, well, that's an area they can improve, I guess. So the, rookie, it needs improvement with that one thing. Yep. Um, across the board, otherwise satisfactory, maybe even better than satisfactory, I would say. Uh, needs improvement. Uh, a couple teams could maybe improve a little two of the more obvious ones are kind of coming together so i'll say that jaco alula was not the best women's team this year i think i expected a little bit more from a team that has some talented riders on it i, I mean th- this is a, obviously they're not sd works but they are a team that has the caliber of riders at, with a handful of, of their riders to win some races Anna Santesteban, Letizia Paternoster. I mean, they, they have they have some riders, and they, yeah. What did they win? One race this year at the you know in the pro scene. Not not enough from a World Tour squad, and I think they do have enough young talent, developing talent, that they'll continue to hopefully get a little bit better. But for now, yeah, it didn't help. Also, that one of their Biggest results, a podium performance at one of everybody's favorite races, uh, didn't stick because of a rule violation from one of their riders. Talking, of course, about Kristen Faulkner at Strada Bianca. But I assume she wouldn't do that again, so maybe next year will be a little bit better for her. Anyway, all right, Abby, who's your overperforming uh, team? Yeah, I think... Um... I wouldn't technically, I wouldn't really say that they're an overperforming team, but they had a better season this year than they've had in four years. Um, they they didn't overperform because, again, with the roster that they have, you would expect them to get the results that they got this year and then some, but they haven't done that the last three, four years. So I would say Canyon SRAM maybe stepped it up a bit this year I was impressed with them this year mostly because when they did win they won with new riders young riders and I think it speaks volumes to where the team is going in the years to come but I feel like Phoenix Sukunik deserves an honorable mention with they won a stage of the Tour de France Femme of Zwift. they had some incredible rides all season long just by being the most aggressive team in the peloton and I feel like they have a lot of riders on that team that are really exciting. So I think that they, whilst they are a world tour team, like they, they should be winning world tour races. Unlike a lot of teams that are in the world tour. Um, I feel like they exceeded my expectations this year, but I've, yeah, I think Canyon Stram had a heck of a season. I didn't see a smirk. I didn't see a smile. I, I detected no irony in your use of the word whilst. I think that came to you naturally, and that really bums me out. We're losing you. You, you were a North American, but I don't know. Once you start using that word, you kind of lose your, your credentials. I don't know when I started using it, to be honest. Like, Yeah, well, 
But I love that it bothers you so much. <laughs> I just wish, you know, I, I just felt like we had that kinship of, of being, you know, both North Americans. And now I, I just don't even, I don't even know you anymore. Mm, Whilst. You don't. All right. Who needs improvement? <laughs> yeah, I, this is, I don't want to sound like super negative, but I feel like every other team. <laughs> um, <laughs> this is a common theme, Abby. I love FDJ Suez. Like, I just said they they had a rough season and they underperformed because they did so well last year that you would have expected them to keep that going. But with Marta Cavalli still struggling to come back after her crash in the tour last year, they really weren't as good as you would have probably hoped or expected them to be. Sile came into the season late, so she wasn't she didn't really factor in any of the big races up until Scandinavia. So I feel like they kind of underperformed human powered health israel premier tech live racing tech fine jaco alula like yeah just for world tour teams i think that it's it's pretty disappointing not to see more from them but i also feel like a lot of teams had some super bad luck this year Lidl trek had most of their best riders out for most of the season so they were really struggling to pull things together all season long Yambo Visma was down Mariana Voss, and so they barely got any results, but they still had some riders that really stepped it up. So I feel like. <sighs> mm. Yeah, it feels like Lidl Trek and Yumbo both still managed to achieve things, even with all the, all the they you know, did, stuff but, that they dealt with. But not what you would expect teams of that caliber sure, to achieve. Sure. I guess I'm just kind of saying, as opposed to the teams you just listed which maybe don't have as good of an excuse. <laughs> well, the bummer thing about the the women's world tour is you should really chop the whole world tour list in half because half of those teams shouldn't be world tour. Um, and when you kind of narrow it down to the teams that have the roster to back up the, the um, license, then I guess you can say like, yeah, FDJ, Yumbo, and, and Trek, you would have expected those three teams to be making sure that SC Works didn't completely annihilate the entire Peloton this year. Um, and I think one of the reasons SC Works was so good is because those three teams were missing their top riders and were kind of like headless chickens out there. Oof. All I right. feel the same way about the men's world tour too, but we'll leave that for another time. <laughs> that you should just remove I half of them I think there's just too many of them. World tour? Yeah. Wait, 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 we we need we need to go back to being positive and and, and happy for a second. Cosmo, who do, who are you giving a nice job to? Before I was you? I was actually going to pick UAE uh, team ADQ, ADQ for both of the nice job and needs improvement. They had a lot oh, of I good like wins. Um, yeah, they, they they beat SD Works at Brabant Pale. The Chiara Consoni had a couple of good uh, wins. Uh, Marta Bastinelli had a few, um, but at the same time, they kind of especially in the stage racing, they seem to strand a lot of their GC riders. I think they were uh, at the uh, Vuelta in particular. I think it was the Vuelta. It might have been Burgos. There was just, a, they had, I, I think, two riders, I think, in the top 10 or maybe the top five and w- would have been contending for the win up the, the, the final climb, except they had lost a bunch of time in the echelons earlier in the week. And it just seems like they they could really be one of the top teams, a good foil for Works with with some improvement. I don't necessarily think they underperformed, but I think relative to how they could have done with a little bit of like a slightly better uh, racing sense, like, you know, it, it, it's easy to look at that, that time gap, those time gaps from the uh, crosswinds day and from the climbing day and think, Oh, you know, they could be up there. So, yeah. All right. I, it's, that's a nice complex answer there. Um, <laughs> We're getting a little bit away from the sports talk radio by. I'll bring it back. We'll get it. We'll get the. We'll get the spicy takes later. Yeah. I feel like I want to. I I like want to. Preface my answer by saying like, it's not negative. Like I just. I see a lot of areas where the teams, um, where it could have been not the SC Work show this year. Yeah. And a lot of the a lot of the reason is down to bad luck, a lot of it. Like sixty percent, seventy five, seventy five percent of the reason that SC Works won so much is because of bad luck for the other teams, and it just so happened that many of the other teams had bad luck. That seems like a high number, seventy five. But 
maybe next year we'll be able to see, you know, if if people stay healthy, then we'll get a chance. Hopefully, we'll get a chance to see whether SD work does indeed dominate anyway or not. Can I can I say one more team that overperformed? You know, sure, yeah. I'm excited about this question. <laughs> Go for it. Um, I think DSM Fermanich had an amazing season. Uh, they lost Lorena Weebus to SC Works, and they lost uh, Leona Leopard and Florian McKay. So, like, three of their core team. But they still had such an incredible year with Pfeiffer Georgie and uh, Charlotte Cool and Megan Drastrab even. Like, I feel like they are a team that they lost most of their best riders and they came out stronger which is pretty cool to see i'm interested to see charlotta cool's future in the biggest races because it does seem like i mean this is very this is very myopic i guess to point this out but like she didn't win any tour de france stages and and obviously that's the that's the big one right if you're a sprinter i'm, I'm thinking that that's where i'm going to kind of make my assessments of how good you are. And she won a bunch of races this year. Um, yeah, the weird thing is the Tour de France stage that she missed out on was really like, it was a weird stage in general because you would argue that she should have won the stage that Emma Norsgaard won when that break stayed away. And it was really just like a poorly timed chase. Yeah, but I mean, you, she still didn't win. Yeah. And you can't make excuses, so. But yeah, I think she has it. She has it in her. Like she'll win a Tour de France stage next year. I would put my hat on it. Well, you're not wearing a hat. Our listeners I'm don't not. know that. You can't just lie to the listeners like that. <laughs> uh, all right, let's. First of all, Jordan W. You, we got a lot of mileage out of that question, so thank you. <laughs> that was a great question. Even if I kind of altered it a little bit to be a reduce, we cut it down from grading everybody. But yes, thank you, Jordan W. Great question. All right, next question. Jeff asks, is Lotto Destiny do a reevaluation? I've really enjoyed watching them race, and they're above quite a few of the World Tour teams in the points. Does Escape Collective, EC, does EC think they're underperforming? I feel like they're they're way overperforming what you would expect. I mean, they had a really rough couple years there, and they're... Arguably, their number one rider has been out this year in Caleb Ewan. And he's it's not like he's washed up when he comes back. He's going to be able to hopefully win for them again. But if you, like, we we're just talking about Arnaud Delis. He's such an incredible rider. He's won them races this year. He's won a bunch of races. One yeah. leg. Yeah, he's won a bunch of races. I guess one world to a race and then. I feel like Arnaud Delis has really been carrying that team, but... It's been a team effort, and I think that they are doing better than they have for some time. And once Caleb comes back, they'll have two guys that can win. Cosmo? I was just going to say it's interesting that we are discussing this, their underperformance the year after they got relegated out of the World Tour. I mean, they're not – it's the team management or their press agent or whoever has done a really good job of presenting them and maintaining them in the press like – they are a world tour team when they're not um you're kind of having your cake and eating it too right like i think the license fees are a lot lower i could go look but it's yeah it's basically like they they get as much attention as they had previously with it, it seems like a much lower bar and you know kind of congrats uh to uh the lotto pseudo uh, excuse me lotto destiny team for uh, for pulling that off uh but yeah, I, I generally agree. I think they're they're doing okay. I think they have some solid performers, even outside uh, Caleb Ewan and Ardo Dali. Andreas Krohn's looked really good kind of in the, the second half of this season. Took a win on one of the chaotic Vuelta days earlier in the race. Um, yeah, I think they're they're on the right track. I, I do think they tend to race... I mean, you, you pointed this out with Dali. <laughs> we need to see him race bigger races. Yeah, I, I mean, that, they're... That, yeah. That's how you get a lot of points, too. Like if you win a bunch of second or third tier races, it'll make your team, you know, soar up the the rankings without necessarily yeah, it's, uh, impressing it, us as much. We we could, we could do a whole podcast on what's wrong with the I shouldn't say wrong. What what doesn't seem like it's matching the intent of the uh the world tour system, but yeah. Yeah, it, it's definitely I mean, it's a team that as you say, uh as you say, Jeff, 
uh, and then again, thank you for your great question. They they are outperforming a lot of World Tour teams in the rankings, uh, but in terms of World Tour wins, they're still lacking in that. So I, yes, they're due of reevaluation by anybody who thinks they're bad, but I also don't think they're great. They're just you know, they've had a nice few weeks here. That's for sure. Arnold Lee's got a bright future. All right, thanks, Jeff. Good question. Next one comes from. Struin, how would you rate Yumbo's one-day performances? This is the second year they've, by their standards, underperformed in the big one-day races despite having probably the strongest classics squad. Is it their approach or simply that Pog, MVDP, and Remco are just very hard to beat? Good question, Struin. How would we rate Yumbo's one-day performances? I still think they did really good. I think there's just really long races where they kind of struggle and I'm not entirely sure why that is. Uh, Gent Wevelgem is 260k and they did win that and win it 1-2 which is pretty impressive but that also was kind of a crummy day and Gent Wevelgem is not hard relative to other 260k races and that was decided you know 60k out so the action kind of happened where it would happen in a uh, in a shorter one day. Um, I, I don't know precisely why that is. I think maybe they have a lot of riders who are very good at a 200k race and who tire out in those final 60k um i think it may also be that a lot of other riders are very a lot of these other top names are very good at the longer races uh like mess peterson and uh casper askren are both like 260k seems to be a light snack for them they're they're i think peterson was 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 breaking up flanders at like 100k out 80k out something like that so it's it may be that it's just these really long races where they tend to struggle uh relative to you know one days like uh head Nisplot and kbk where they they really dominated and dictated the terms of the event just because they got so many guys up there and all of them are threats to win that's not the case at the the monuments i think the monuments aren't just longer though they're also a bigger deal and i do think if they go one more season like this one where they win basically everything that's not the monument, you know, classic race, then I start to wonder about Art and those very, very big opportunities to win because he's been extremely good at, at landing himself on the podium of the biggest races. But when it comes to the actual biggest races, Patrick Vanderpool has him beat handily. And I... I I'm still going to withhold judgment, but I think there is a trend there. And I, I do think that the team as a whole, I think their one-day campaign grade is just so-so. If you're, if, you, if you're not winning Flanders or Roubaix or San Remo, I can't really give you a you know an A, <laughs> even if you win everything else. And they really did. They were awesome in everything else. Uh, but yeah, I think Vlad Van Aert needs to show next year, next season, that he can you know, have that same level of peak killer instinct that Vanderpool seems to have in those very, very big days. I feel like um, Yambo Visma had such an incredible year with the Grand Tours, obviously, that they're, even if their Classics team is incredibly strong, they're clearly putting all of their effort into winning the Grand Tours, which they did successfully. And if you kind of, scroll back in time when Ineos was dominating the grand tours they also weren't great at the classics regardless of the riders that they had on their team so I feel like it's you can kind of look at the two and draw a little bit of comparison to the fact that they were they did put a lot of effort into their one days and because of that they a lot of their good riders that could have won one day hillier one days like Roglic didn't race any early season one days Vinigo didn't race any early season one days Sepp didn't race any early season one days like those guys were fully focused on the grand tours and I think that that kind of plays into their one day success a little bit I think that's true especially in the Ardennes for sure uh, where, where those riders you just named are make a big difference Struin, good question. Thank you. We've got another Yumbo-related query, so we'll stay on that subject. Because uh, Ryan Marty, what do we think are the ingredients to Yumbo's unprecedented success at the Grand Tour level? So we went from one day to uh, stage races. 
Clearly, they have a good budget to hire great riders, but so do other teams that aren't even in the conversation. Parentheses, cough, Ineos, cough, which I really like that little note there. Uh, yeah, the question is essentially, why is Yumba so good? I would suggest that their talent scouting has been very, very good. Uh, they obviously finding Roglic and turning him into the rider that he is was really impressive. I mean, that that's somebody that... Uh, I don't think was had the same level of hype around him as, say, a young Tadej Pogacar or a young Egan Bernal. Uh, if you can, if you can turn Jonas Vingago into a Tour de France contender from, even if he was a strong prospect, that also means that you've done some pretty good scouting and and also development. So scouting and development both. I think that's a big part of it scouting and development. And then I also think they've done a really nice job of, yeah, as you suggested in your question, managing egos. Uh, I know that that's some, something of an ironic thing to say now as we're about to see them bid farewell. We, we expect Supremas Roglic. But up to this point, the fact that they were able to do everything that they did with Vingago and Roglic and Sepkus and Watvanar and Christoph Laporte, I think they've been really good at all of those things. So I think it's a little bit of all of them. It's all the above. Uh, talent scouting is a big part of it, though. I mean, they did, they have generally signed young riders and developed them very well in a way that other teams who have gone out and, you know, picked up some of the possible top prospects, you know, riders who do well at the Tour de l'Avenir, uh, they, there's, they're, they're kind of lottery tickets, but they hit on their lottery tickets a lot more often than other teams do. And I think that's a, that's a sign that they know what they're doing, both with scouting and with development. So, that's what I yeah, that that's where I fall on that one. I'd agree mostly with that. I, I think looking at Christophe Laporte and, and Tige Benoit, uh, especially guys who were who have performed not as well elsewhere and still well, but just like without the structure, without the mission focus, I think. Uh not to, you know, poo poo Kofidis, uh, but I think I think it may have been a tremendous and positive transition for Christophe Laporte to not be racing for them anymore. Also, like one last note, I, I would say there is a significant luck element to any of these things. I think very often a team will sign a rider who looks like a really good prospect and they don't turn out, and there's like maybe nothing that the team could have done about that. Uh, so I don't, I don't think that Yumbo has lucked into their success, but I do think that they've benefited from probably some, you know, dice rolls, coin tosses of riders turning into good, you know, prospects turning into good riders going their way that, you know, that happens... And, and it, things cut both ways where a lot of times those riders don't work out and maybe the team was a big part of that and maybe they weren't. So I think luck plays a small role. Um, yeah, all of the above. All right, Ryan, Marty, I I appreciate that you asked that question. And you know what? I love that question so much. We're going to close out on your other question as well. Where does Ineos go from here? I love this question because I, I love part two of it, which is should we feel bad for them? <laughs> uh, because, you know, where, where do they go from here? That's... You know, there's all kinds of answers to that. Whereas, you know, should we feel bad for them? That just gets right to the the core of us as as people. You know, I think it really asks us to evaluate, uh, you know, how we feel about human success and failure, and that's just great. Uh, so, first of all, where does any of us go from here? I don't think it's possible to answer that question without knowing where Roglic is going to go. Uh, I feel like at or this Remco. point, you can kind of surmise that he. <laughs> I mean, Bora's still apparently on the table, but, like, the only team with that much money has to be Ineos, right? Like, I don't know. It, I think it's it's an impossible question to answer right now because Ineos doesn't have a single new signing for next year, but they've lost a couple of their key riders in Teo Gegenhart, Pavel Sivakov. I agree. I agree that it's hard to answer without knowing whether Roglic or Evanapool, you know, which which big star is going to take up all that money that they've cleared they might end up with Roglic and Remco, like, and then in that case, we're like, okay, well, Ineos looks like they're gonna have a pretty good season in twenty twenty four. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I, I, I don't know necessarily that they're gonna have a good season. <laughs> it feels, it feels a lot like they're just scrambling around. Like, there's a dude whose job is to put together a PowerPoint at the beginning of every year. Be like, here's how we're gonna spend all your money and win a Tour de France, and it, it is all like money and. PowerPoint things and no like actual work for development and talent identification. It's we've seen this year alone, a bunch of like former Ineos riders do well in other places. Uh, 
Eddie Dunbar had a pretty good year. Both both Yates's. It's it it feels almost like it's like Benjamin Button of of Israel Premier Tech, right? Like it's instead of taking the old riders who are past wow. their prime, and uh, and just throwing money at them, so you have a big name that you can you can tell people about. They've got a bunch of big money, and they're throwing them at whatever new rider seems like maybe they could win the Tour de France, and it's easy to sign, and you don't have this Roglic, et cetera, et cetera, drama. Uh, I, I, I really – it's such a change from how they were as Team Sky, where their whole brand was like finding these riders that could potentially win, like developing them, working with them. It's really just completely shifted uh, to we have a bunch of money – how do we get back to winning the Tour de France as quickly as possible with as little effort on our part as possible? It almost feels like middle management is sort of, well, not middle management. It, it almost feels like the executive team doesn't have a buy-in with the team staff anymore. I don't know. This is all purely observational. You know, I don't have a good insight into how their team works. It just seems the complete opposite of what made them, uh, you know, the the kind of, big name they are today in cycling terms yeah in terms of where they go from here i do think there is some hope in the 22 year old carlos rodriguez who finished fifth at the tour this year young up and coming obviously very talented to me though i think it really comes down to in addition to whether they sign a you know roglic Evanapool, somebody I think Tom Pitcock is is a huge part of success or fail for this team because if Tom Pitcock can win a bunch of one day races on the road, that's a, that can be a successful season. It will be different from the success of the Ineos of years past where they were the Grand Tour team, but he is the rider I think that can bring, bring this team success if he goes for it. On is the road. that is and that, that going to look good question. on the PowerPoint though? Is the, is is Strada Bianca win maybe an Amstel in there? Are those going to be sufficient? For the PowerPoint, well, are they going to be, be like, you know, why are we Liege paying this guy? Flanders. Is well, Liege and Flanders together, maybe. Yeah. But I just, I feel like the way the team seems to be making decisions, it's like, it's, it's, it, it is. They're going to be like, why are we paying Pidcock this much money to win these races that you know, ninety-eight percent of the British public has never heard of? Right. How do yeah. we, how do we make this a Tour de France winner, baby? But that's the other thing. I mean, he's he he's seen as, and I think that a lot of people in, in that team are hoping that he would be a Grand Tour contender himself. And that's another thing. I mean, he whether that happens is a big a big part of this. Um, I do want to move on to the second part of the question. Should we feel bad for them? And I have a very specific answer. And my specific answer is I feel bad for Egon Bernal because he crashed into a bus and broke a bunch of bones. And I think I really liked watching Egon Bernal when he was at his best He's still so young, but we don't really know what the future holds for him because we never really know whether he's going to be even close to what he once was. I feel bad for him, and I do somewhat feel bad. This is like the only area in which I feel bad for this team. I think they had a, a lot of proverbial eggs in the egg on a Bernal basket, and why not? He was a Tour de France winner. And for all of the team's faults and all of the potential issues with developing riders now that where that suddenly seems like, yeah, they're as you so eloquently put it, the uh, Benjamin Button Israel Premier Tech team, I, you couldn't have seen that coming. And that that's just a bummer. So in that way, I feel bad for Bernal and the team a little bit. But otherwise, eh, it's sports. <laughs> teams win, teams lose. That's what, that's what happens. I, other, other than that, I don't feel too bad for them. Nodding in agreement, co-host? It's a fair answer. Yeah. Fair answer. I, I love Egon Bernal. Like, love him. Egon? I love Egon, Egon. Bernal. Egon. Uh, he's one of my favorite writers. So I would love to see him back in his winning ways. Yeah. And I think it's honorable that the team has continued to put so much support towards him, even though it doesn't really look like he's going to be winning the tour again anytime soon. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Thanks again for all those good questions. Hopefully we answered them in a way that kept you entertained. We've got a race coming up. We've got the last monument coming up here, which uh, is very scenic. If you've never watched a Lombardia, it's a beautiful race. The leaves are falling. They race around Lake Como in Italy. It's, it's just a, it's a gorgeous spectacle. 
And it's also going to feature Primus Roglic, Tadej Pogacar, Remco Evenepoel. I think this is going to be a good race. They're, they're going to be doing the... So this is, this is a race that every year they kind of decide, okay, we're going to do uh, A to B or B to A in terms of our route. And this year's route is going to be the Como to Bergamo. Last year was Bergamo to Como. The year before that was Como to Bergamo. Uh, so this is this year's route looks a lot like the 2021 route, which Tadej Pogacar won. Of course, he also won last year, so it doesn't seem to matter too much which direction they go. Uh, newsflash, he's pretty good. But in any case, we're going to see Pogacar, Roglic, Evenepoel, hopefully doing battle here for this last monument of the year. I can't wait. I love this race. It's It's super entertaining, and we usually get some of the best climbers, and that's the case this year. On a sadder note, it appears to be the final race of Thibaut Pinot's road career. So, au revoir. Could he potentially? Could, could, could he win it? Could he win it? He's won it. He has won before. You know, I I feel like Pinot is a good example of a rider whose greatest achievement often goes forgotten. He is a monument winner. Is Thibaut Pinot? It was a good race. So he beat, all he beat the, Nibali on this course, like head to head. Yes. This is legit. For all of the years of disappointment of French fans as a GC racer, you can never take away that Lombardia win in 2018. So good luck, Thibaut Pino, in your final race. And Arrivederci, it's been a nice... We've had, we've had a great time watching you. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's it for today. Hope you enjoyed. Hope you enjoyed being pretty serious with us. Abby? Our listeners, if they liked this, they're going to get another opportunity to hear you this week and every week. Go listen to Wheel Talk. Yeah, it's a great podcast. We enjoy it. Cool. What do you got going on this week? We talked about our favorite domestiques. There's Ooh. a bit of a lull in uh, in the women's racing at the moment. So we, we talked, yeah, about our favorite domestiques. Domestiques, three, different, three or four different categories of domestique. And who our favorites are from each. Fun awesome. conversation. Yeah. Check it out. It's on the same podcast feed as all the other podcasts. Uh, so you can go check it out. Basically within 24 hours of this going up. It's very exciting. Thanks, Abby. Thanks, Cosmo. Great talking to you both. And we at the Pretty Serious Bike Racing Podcast will be back next week. Until then, thanks for listening.